From the Financial Times in London, I'm John Murray Brown, and this is FT News. For the past two weeks in Paris, world leaders and some of the leading business luminaries have been trying to hatch a deal which would limit carbon emissions and help to address the crisis of climate change. Joining me on the line from Paris is our environment correspondent, Polita Clark. Polita, what has been the highlight of this two weeks session of negotiations between governments? Well, John, I have to say that the real highlight is that we've managed to get to Thursday, the second last day of these two-week talks, without any of the usual dramas and foot stampings and angry words and furious declamations that we normally see erupting at around this point in these talks, which, of course, take place every year, but we're expected to be incredibly tense this year because they're aimed at trying to deliver the first new global climate accord in 18 years. Now, it's interesting on a number of levels. I mean, number one, we've had France, a country with a well-known and deserved reputation for diplomatic skill and flair, running the whole thing. So that's made a difference. Secondly, I think the fact that this conference started just two weeks after the November 13 terrorist attacks certainly has lent a sort of a different tone to proceedings. But thirdly, I mean, really, the agreement that the countries represented here are trying to deliver is not really one that's nearly as onerous as the one that was attempted 18 years ago or delivered 18 years ago. In fact, the Kyoto Protocol, which actually set firm emissions targets for countries. This time, countries are basically allowed to volunteer whatever sorts of emissions reductions they uh, feel like doing. And then the idea is that they ratchet them up progressively over time. And that ratcheting up is what's turning out to be one of the big stumbling blocks to getting a final agreement tomorrow. And there's been some commentary on the role of big business leaders uh, shuttling to and fro between politicians trying to uh, have their influence on the outcome. How critical has that been and how influential have they been, do you think? Well, I think the presence of Bill Gates in particular here at the beginning of the talk, it came on the same day as the 150-odd world leaders came and delivered all of their calls for climate action on the first day of the conference. And Mr. Gates was involved in one of the well, the most high-profile private sector initiative to emerge at the start of the talks, which is this very large fund that he's trying to set up, or he plans to set up with a range of other Silicon Valley tech billionaires and other prominent figures. It's going to try to invest more money essentially in promising startups that are going to try to create technologies that really shift the needle in terms of low carbon energy transmission and generation. And so I think that the presence of him, this initiative, which was done in parallel with another one involving 20 governments that said they're going to double their R&D spending, that has had a kind of a good positive background influence, I would say, in terms of the actual gritty negotiation, the gritty side of the negotiations themselves, where countries are literally fighting over shell versus should. Uh, It's not playing much of a role there, but I think it's helped to set a tone for the talks that basically says, look, you know, don't think that developed countries, and um, that means governments as well as the private sector, don't think that they're standing back and not doing anything here. Look at what's being done. And that's probably been able to make the atmosphere of the conference somewhat more conducive than it might otherwise be. And what would be your judgment with a day or so to go as to uh, whether there's going to be a successful outcome for this two-week negotiation? Um, That really depends on one's definition of success. I think that if the conference doesn't manage to produce an agreement that states very clearly that 
you know, it's all very well for countries to just volunteer their emissions reductions plans, but they have to come back to the table and improve them regularly as soon as possible because we know that the ones that have been submitted so far for this accord over the course of this year are not going to be enough to stop warming, rise above two degrees Celsius from pre-industrial time, which is a limit that uh, has been somewhat iconic because it was agreed five years ago by governments at another one of these UN climate talks that this should be the threshold that we're stuck to. So the pledges that have been submitted so far are not enough. Everybody acknowledges that. It's one of the few issues that's not been fought over. But uh, the fact that the current round of pledges doesn't meet them means that it's really important that the agreement includes some measure that ensures that they do. And at the moment, China, India, Saudi Arabia and a bunch of other countries are saying, look, we've put in our initial pledges, that's it, we'd prefer anything else to be voluntary. And if the agreement ends up being shaped in a way that concedes too much to these countries, then I think it'll be very weak indeed. So your judgment is it's too close to call at this stage to predict whether there's going to be a successful outcome? The way that the draft text is moving, we're expecting a new version of it momentarily. It's currently looking as though the strongest wording of this resubmission cycle is going to go not into the main agreement itself, but into a decision text that will basically mean that this meeting here decides on the timing of pledges being resubmitted. That's not ideal, in my view, because it means that the next year, when everybody reconvenes in Marrakesh, which is where it's going to all happen again in a year's time, at that meeting, there'll be another fight about when the next lot of climate pledges should be submitted. You know, ideally, this should be anchored into the agreement. Thank you, Polita. That was very interesting, and we'll await the outcome with, uh, with bated breath. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Grainger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Grainger. For the ones who get it done.